Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. It's election day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Finally, it's election day. What's been what seemingly an endless campaign. And I was going to say, well, maybe it was finally over, but we know we probably won't know the results uh, tonight. It's going to go on a while, and the arguing will probably go on for a while. But at least we get a chance to get the voting done. If you haven't done so already, and we know many have, be sure to vote today if you haven't already and uh, we'll see what happens coming up on our program today we're going to talk about some other issues such as trade sanctions on thailand this uh, started with a petition by the national pork producers council we'll talk with nick giordano with the national pork producers council about that also we'll talk trade with china i've talked about this before the glass either half empty or half full however you want to look at it they're buying that's the half full side of it. The half empty is they're still not up to the uh, commitments, the levels of the trade one of the phase one trade deal. We'll talk about it with Jake Parker, senior vice president for the U.S. China Business Council. What does he think about future China purchases and the ongoing rhetoric between the two countries? And we'll talk markets and harvest with Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. All that coming up on today's program. But let's start it off on this election day with Todd Neely from DTN and Todd, I, I think it's going to be interesting with all this uh, record-setting early voting. How yeah. much, how big will the turnout today for those of us like me that's old school and vote on election day? Uh, will that cut into the uh, turnout today, or will there be a huge turnout uh, today for voting? Yeah, you know, Mike, this is. Uh, <clears throat> I agree. This is kind of an unusual time. You know, with the virus and everything, we've seen. Uh, record numbers of people voting by mail or absentee and uh but i'm like you i like to get out on election day it's just one of those it's a traditional thing and uh i don't know do you just feel accomplished after you actually go out to the polls and cast your vote but yeah it's uh i definitely think you know there might be some uh situations here where we might be going you know a few days past the election on some states to figure out you know what the vote totals are and that sort of thing um uh, then again, I don't know. If the election turnout is records today, then, uh, you know, it might be decisive one way or the other for either candidate. So really an unusual time. I guess we just watch and, and wait and, and hope it goes normal. I understand, especially with COVID, why so many people wanted to vote early. Um, and there's a lot of analysis yeah. going on and guess, guessing, quite frankly, which candidate that favors. I think what it tells me is people have made up their minds, because I've often thought the drawback to voting mm -hmm. early is, uh, what if something happened close to the election that would make you change your mind? But basically, I think a lot of people are saying their minds are made up no matter what. Yeah, I think so, definitely. You know, and when you look at that, um, you know, you're right. If you've got that many people voting by mail and absentee, uh, they really don't need to see or hear anymore. And, and you're right. These ballots have been coming in for, what, the past uh, six six or eight weeks. And I think that, uh, you know, maybe it's not going to be any different on Election Day. I think probably a lot of people have made up their minds strongly one way or the other. And I um, I don't know. I, you know, I'm just guessing here, but it, it would not surprise me if we see record turnout today, despite all the, the early voting. 
which in itself is a good thing. I mean, there's a lot of negatives around yeah. this election, but uh, the positive is people are voting. And for years, we've seen the, you know, the voter turnouts going down and down. And that, that's been a big theme of a lot of elections the past several uh, cycles that, uh, you know, what's going to take to get people to get out and vote? Well, they're getting out this time. Yeah, you know, you're right. This is, uh, you know, we normally see a lot of get out the vote uh, campaigns from a number of different era, a number of different people. And uh, this time, uh, you're right. I don't think there's any uh, anyone that needs to be motivated to get out to vote. You know, and what that's going to mean in the final tally is another thing. But um, certainly, you know, I think all the attention given to the COVID virus this year and all the and all the challenges that we've seen, I think that. Uh, in many ways, that maybe that issue is the issue when it comes to this election, and maybe that's why people are getting out in record numbers in terms of the the, the absentee ballots and so on. Um, I think a lot of people's lives have been upended, and maybe uh, maybe that very situation um, has really you know really stepped up the motivation for some people. And then. When you look at the control of the Senate, which I think is a huge issue that's not getting nearly enough attention, and then you look at some of the key state battles, uh, different referendums and uh, initiatives on ballots in states uh, that very much will affect rural America. I mean, there's a lot at stake in this election. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you look at right here in Nebraska, you know, we have a we have a casino online gambling measure on the ballot. Uh, you know, in, in any other election, that would probably be the you know, the issue on the ballot that people talk about the most. But uh, I think in some ways this, this election definitely is the most consequential for a lot of different states. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think maybe that has a lot to do with, with the turnout and, and the interest in this as well, is that there are a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, questions about what's going to happen in the House and the Senate. And uh, I think a lot of people uh, have a lot to say. Yeah, here in my state of Illinois, there's a big progressive tax initiative on the ballot. That's a huge issue here. So we'll yeah. be watching, uh, looking at the results in the, some of these state uh, issues uh, as the days go on here and how those turn out. Uh, you know, it's a high-profile position that's not getting a whole lot of attention because it's a foregone conclusion that the Democrats will keep uh, the House. But a key race within that is the chairman of the House Ag Committee, Colin Peterson, is in a a tough race it looks like yeah absolutely you know and what's interesting about that race mike um you know we haven't seen a lot of press as to how the race is actually going um you know it seems a lot of times colin peterson he's been up for re-election you know several times uh you know there may be some reports that he's behind but he always ends up coming out in the end you know winning the seat again uh but you're right that you know colin peterson is one of the most bipartisan members of the house and he's one of the you know, he's one of the main drivers as to why, you know, agriculture issues are fairly bipartisan. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely a big race. And I think, uh, you know, I mean, if I was a betting man, I'd say he'd pull it out again, but who knows? Yeah, we will see on that one. So that's just one of several key issues. Uh, there is there's other news going on, but it's sure getting uh, <laughs> overshadowed by the election. It's kind of all in on the election now and probably will be for the next several days. I wonder when we will know the final results. Yeah, you know, hopefully hopefully tonight, one way or the other, it'll be uh, it'll be quite decisive either way. And so I you know, I don't know at this point in time if, if people in America are, are up for another long drawn out 
um, you know, drawn out affair, especially with an election, but, you know, especially this year with all the challenges we face. I think it, I think for the American psyche, it would be good to know tonight. Well, the lawyers will probably do well out of all this. I've got a feeling so, um, but we will see. Todd, good to talk with you, and uh, we'll check back in when we do get some of these results. Thanks a lot. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. DTN reporter Todd Neely. All right, up next, National Pork Producers Council filed a petition that has led to trade sanctions on Thailand. We'll talk about it with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you Choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us is our good friend Jim Baer, President and CEO of U.S. Apple. I know that the U.S. Apple Association is making a big donation for this effort to help feed school kids. Tell us about it, please. We've had this program for several years, our Apples for Education program, and it's not about just giving away apples. It's actually intended to provide funds for creative programs that get proposed and to teach kids about healthy eating. And when school started shutting down last spring, I mean, even though a lot of apples go into the school lunch program, but, um, this is really not about just giving away apples. It just seemed natural. Our segment of agriculture ought to try and help out. And so we're providing this grant of $20,000 to the School Nutrition Association to purchase food and packaging for grab-and-go meals, for mobile carts and kiosks at curbside distribution, and uh, personal protective equipment to keep the workers safe. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. When you think of home, you think of warmth, comfort, and peace of mind. And that's exactly what you get when you choose propane from FS. With propane from FS, you get our well-trained professional staff, along with an array of products and services designed to ensure that your propane system is functioning properly and efficiently. Add to this a variety of convenient terms and ways to save money, and you've got the right solution to all your home energy needs. Contact your local FS Propane Specialist today. FS Propane. Feels like home. Visit fspropane.com. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. 
Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The U.S. Trade Representative has announced it is suspending $817 million in trade preferences for Thailand under the Generalized System of Preferences Program because the country has not made sufficient progress providing the U.S. with equitable and reasonable market access for pork products. This really got started with a petition by the National Pork Producers Council. Let's talk about it with Nick Giordano. Vice President and Council, Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Nick, thanks for joining us. Uh, let's go back to when uh, MPPC filed the petition on this. What was your reason for doing so? Well, we had been very patient with Thailand. And, you know, in some respects, my trade policy mirrors real life. And you don't want to... You, you, you don't want to get in a conflict unless you absolutely had have to. So we tried the diplomacy through successive U.S. administrations, and frankly, it became clear to us that we were, to use an old boxing term, being roped up, and we really were left with no alternative but to file a petition asking the U.S. Trade Representative to either restrict or um, take away all of Thailand's special trade benefits under the Generalized System of Preferences Program. So specifically, what was Thailand doing or not doing that you objected to? Well, Mike, um, I think you know that, uh, but a lot of listeners may not know, the United States is the biggest pork exporting nation in the world. We're really proud of it got a product that's second to none in terms of quality, safety, affordability, and uh, in any given year, we export to over 100 countries, but Thailand is not one of them because they have a de facto ban on our product. It's not right. Um, as I said, we, uh, we were patient. We exhausted, uh, we worked with successive administrations, and uh, diplomatic overtures were rejected. So we had no choice but to um, work with the Trump administration to threaten to take away Thailand's special trade benefits unless they provide market access for U.S. pork. How big a market is Thailand for U.S. pork, and what's the potential for that market? Well, of course, this isn't a, you know, we're not going to get zero tariff access. Um, that would be through a free trade agreement or another um, special means. This is just to clear away the ban and all the non-tariff barriers. Um, I think Dr. Hayes of Iowa State forecasts something like about 30 million in sales. So not, you know, it's not insignificant, but more than that. Um, and you know, some listeners may be thinking, well. Why are they so interested in Thailand? Well, it's a huge pork-consuming market, and the potential over time there for us is really big. And Thailand is the home of what we believe to be 
the single largest agribusiness concern in Asia, and that's um, CP. And CP is all over the place. In fact, they've got some interest in the United States. Um, they're very big in China and Vietnam and all over. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're very sophisticated, and um, they really need to, um, they need to compete. And they, they have a lot of influence regardless of what kind of government you have in Thailand. They've got a lot of influence. Um, and I dare say more influence than MPPC has in the U.S. government, although, you know, we like to think we're real important. But um, we, we need to be in Thailand. It's, the situation's not right. One of the, um, you know, if I had to sum up this administration's trade policy, I used the one word of reciprocity. Now, you know, it's been called a lot of things by a lot of people, but I think reciprocity is a term that there's strong bipartisan support for. And we need this more in U.S. trade policy, whether in a Democratic or Republican administration or Democratic or Republican-controlled Congress. So that's really, that's what this is about. Um, you know, it's not like this is a throwaway market and on principle. No, we could sell a significant amount of pork, according to Dr. Hayes. Um, one of the products that we sell a lot of would be pork livers. You know, our, our products like that are our market opportunity in the United States, and for that matter, a lot of markets are really limited. So it's, it's important. We appreciate very much what the, the U.S. Trade Reps Office has done. And we look forward to, look, our, our intention here was never to inflict economic harm on the nation of Thailand. As I said, this was a last resort. And we really hope that we can work um, through, our through this administration uh, or any administration collegially with the government of Thailand to provide the United States what virtually every country in the world provides, uh, market access for U.S. pork, the number one exported pork in the world. We're talking with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. Nick, coming up in my next segment, I'll be talking with the Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council, talking about trade relations between the U.S. and China. From a pork standpoint, where are we with China right now? You're selling a lot of pork there. Um, you know, they, they have African swine fever. It wiped out a lot of their herd. They need pork. Um, unfortunately, relations with China, um, between the U.S. and China, are very strained. So your guess is as good as mine as to where things go in the future. I think regardless of ASF and the trade war, we, uh, you know, leadership in the pork industry, most of us knew, and certainly at NPPC, we knew that China was not going to be eager to be disproportionately reliant on the United States. Uh, the U.S. is the biggest, single biggest exporter in the world, and we're often the lowest cost exporter in the world. We've got a product in terms of safety and quality that's second to none. We knew there was opportunity. There was going to be tremendous opportunity. But we also expected that the Chinese would not want to become disproportionately reliant on the United States, you know, not as reliant, for example, as they had become on U.S. soybeans. Um, and then the trade war hit. So it's, the good news is we're selling a lot of pork there, and that's really a necessity because of African swine fever. And because of ASF in China, 
there's a protein deficiency in the world. Um, but, you know, going forward, I, I really don't know. I, I can't speculate. But, yeah, we're selling a lot of pork to China. China's an important market. But there's a huge asterisk hanging out there that I think most of our industry are, uh, is aware of, which is there's a lot of uncertainty going forward. Mm -hmm. Where are we on the ractopamine issue? Um, you know, ractopamine is like, you know, regardless of whether it's China or any other country, um, you know, MPPC's job, Mike, is uh, to defend the production process, processes, producers use, and the products, the methods they use producing pork. I mean, if it's safe, if, you know, the U.S. government says it's safe and international organizations such as the Codex, which, in, in, you know, in the case of ractopamine, you know, that's the case. Um, we, you know, we're going to defend the producers' right. Now, as a practical matter, um, we believe, and these numbers are proprietary, um, nobody's got, nobody that I'm aware of has access to them, certainly in PPC, but there's a general understanding that ractopamine usage has not been that high in recent years, um, and certainly um, pork moving to China because of Chinese demands has been um, rectopamine-free, but this is important. And in fact, it's a useful tool. And indeed, China, as the largest pork producer in the world, um, they could really benefit. And, and I think, you know, kudos to, you know, Greg, Greg Dow, Ted McKinney, and the bosses, Secretary Purdue, and Ambassador Lighthizer, and their group, and then going even back to the Obama administration, and I think about Darcy Vetter and her fabulous work on this, on this product. I, you know, I think there's hope here that the Chinese will come around, because really, I, you know, if you're going to make the case of who's going to benefit from having a lot of safe and effective tools at their disposal, right, across the board, you know, it's anything from ractopamine mm -hmm to genetically edited livestock, China, right? And you would think that they'd want these products to control the price of the product and to be more secure. So we're hopeful going forward, not just with China, but we're going to continue to push forward okay. on ractopamine and producers' ability to use products that they deem right. to be safe. Thanks, Nick. Good to talk with you. Nick Giordano with the Thank National you. Pork Producers Council. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Neil Armstrong waited 6 hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. 
Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Grain and oilseed sector trended higher in the overnight session. We've got a positive tone in corn and soybeans in early Tuesday trade. The pace of harvest slowing again nationwide, but still progress for both the corn and soybean harvest remaining ahead of schedule. Corn harvest moving ahead 10 points last week to reach 82% complete as of Sunday. That is 13 points ahead of the five-year average. Illinois corn, 89% harvested. Iowa, 87%. Soybean harvest slowing a bit last week, but still moving ahead four points to reach 87% complete as of Sunday. According to USDA, Nebraska, and North Dakota, nearly complete on their harvest activity for soybeans. Soybean futures an hour into the day, November up 13 and a quarter at 1064. January up 13 and three quarters, 1066. December corn up three and a quarter at four dollars and three quarters of a cent. March up three at 404 and three quarters of a cent. For the wheat futures, Chicago wheat December down a penny. At 606 and a half. Kansas City wheat December up three quarters of a cent, 553 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat December down three quarters of a cent at 555 and a quarter. Livestock at the Merck, cattle futures in a very narrow mix. December live cattle down a nickel at 108.50. Feeder cattle January up seven cents, 134.12 per hundred weight. Lean hogs, December down 75, 65.25. The Dow is up 651 points. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. 
We talk a lot about U.S.-China trade, and we always like to bring in Jake Parker, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council, for his perspective. And, Jake, thank you for joining us. Big question in ag circles with uh, all the recent uh, purchases by China of U.S. ag products. Is that just because it's the time of year, we're the big supplier at this time of year, they, they have the need right now, or are they trying to meet uh, Phase 1 uh, trade deal commitments, which many point to the fact that they're still way behind those uh, commitments so that uh, there are a lot of questions whether they'll ever get even close to those where do you stand on this what do you think's happening here sure michael absolute pleasure to be back i think there are three reasons to consider here first obviously growing seasons favor the united states at this time of year that's a big part of the purchases secondly china's domestic demand is such that it's needing more pork, for example, because of the African swine fever um, going forward. And the last piece is just uh, the phase one agreement that's obviously important to China. Uh, however, I think that we, when we look at the numbers, they're falling a bit short of what many in the U.S. government and industry expected. If we look at the Census Bureau trade data released last month, it did show that U.S. exports to China during the first nine months of 2020 were about 54% of the $186 billion level of the same period in 2017. Uh, that includes around 130 billion of goods and then the 56 billion in services. As you know, uh, China was required to go 200 billion in purchases above that this year. They're falling short of that at the moment. On agriculture specifically, there was a report that was released by USTR and USDA last month estimating that China had purchased around 23.6 billion or 71% of their purchase targets for 2020. However, that calculation seems to be based at least partly on export contracts reported by companies to USDA that may not yet have been shipped before the end of December. As you know, the phase one agreement actually required those things to be shipped and imported into China to count. So we're taking a, a slightly different approach to, to the way it's calculated in government. Outside of agriculture, how do you, how is the phase one trade deal going as far as China meeting the, the, the commitments? Sure. So if we look at the agreement in two ways, one on the structural changes that China's committed to make in the domestic market, that's particularly around liberalization of sectors that are restricted to foreign investment. China's doing pretty well. It's implemented on nearly all of its commitments in the financial services by allowing American companies to wholly own certain sectors within its economy. Uh, additionally, in some of the intellectual property rights protection commitments, so reducing some barriers to imports, they've moved forward and, and progress is being made. The purchases side outside of agriculture is less optimistic, perhaps. Uh, the manufactured goods category, for example, has fallen far short of expectations. Uh, agriculture seems to be the, the bright spot in the phase one purchases side. So I guess the question comes around to Jake and, and for farmers, we're glad to be selling to them, whether it's because of the trade deal or not. But the bigger question, I guess, becomes, uh, would they be making these purchases anyway, whether or not, so how much of an impact is the trade deal really having right now? It's difficult to assess. I think you can compare it to 2019 and say that a stable bilateral commercial relationship does allow for some of that demand in China to be realized by American farmers. And then the, a challenging period of assertive engagement can very much harm farmers. That's something we can certainly point to and indicate is, is a positive signal that the phase one agreement, having been negotiated and finalized, has created these opportunities that were certainly not available to farmers last year. 
Whether China is going above and beyond and out of its way to increase its purchases, I think, is an open question. And I suspect a big part of that has to do with the American election. If President Trump is reelected, I suspect purchases numbers will go up significantly um, as a result of China realizing that there's a second term to deal with. Uh, if there's a different outcome, I suspect we'll continue to see the status quo of demand-based purchases from the China market. Well, let's go over that again, because that was going to be my next question. You think if Trump wins, we'll see an increase in sales to China, even though the, the rhetoric has been about, you know, he's upset about the, the virus and holds him accountable and can't forget that. So you, you think we will see an increase in purchases under a second Trump term? My suspicion is is that the Chinese government will look at their commitments, see a trajectory in the future where President Trump needs to be dealt with going forward, and that will lead them to live up to their commitments, perhaps that they've tentatively done so to date. Um, If he is not reelected, I think that there's an impression as well that there will be a rethinking of the bilateral relationship, particularly on the trade side, and that could lead to a different assessment by the Chinese government. And that's interesting because much has been made of of Biden's relationship and business dealings in China. So it'll be it would be interesting to see how they would view that. So uh, what are you hearing in in, in your contacts and, and the business side of things? Uh, is there a nervousness about uh, how this election may turn out? Yes, there is. Um, I, I think everyone in our membership is trying to develop connections with, with both camps to ensure that they're well prepared to engage with the new administration on phase, uh, on day one, whether that be a Trump or Biden administration. Uh, companies, most are, are nonpartisan and are just ready to engage and ensure that they're equipped to, to move forward with whoever's elected tomorrow, today. We're talking with Jake Parker, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. So, Jake... Uh, the rhetoric between the two countries, is that partly because of the campaign, or do you see that really impacting relations moving forward? It is amplified by the campaign, but it is obviously not specifically as a result of the campaign. We understand that the president does truly believe that uh, the virus has, uh, has it, that has impacted the United States has come from China, and perhaps they're responsible for part of that. Um, that's not going to change. But we also have to remember that once reelected, President Trump has an opportunity to revisit the China relationship, as most presidents do in the second term. And uh, that will likely include trying to ensure that the phase one agreement is fully implemented. There's obviously a phase two agreement that's been discussed and negotiated, but hasn't made much progress. So setting a course for how to engage on some of those more difficult issues. Um, my suspicion is, is that the more assertive rhetoric that we've heard would perhaps uh, go down a little bit after an election uh, when there's less scrutiny around um, being elected. Is it harder or easier or about the same to to do business with China right now than it has been in the last year or two? You know what's interesting is what we hear from our companies on the ground is they've some have described it the China domestic business environment is one of the best that they've seen in a decade. And and there's some reasons for that. One, uh, the local governments are obviously going through a difficult economic period, and they want to ensure that foreign business remains committed to the market. 
So we've seen a decrease in regulatory scrutiny and inspections and things like that on the ground. I think there's also a sensitivity to the bilateral relationship in China at the moment to uh, ensure that they recognize that there's a push in the United States to move supply chains out of the market. And they want to make sure that American companies are remaining there going forward. Obviously, if you're in the tech space, there's some real challenges right now as we, we go down the road of export controls and some of the competition that we've seen between companies like Huawei uh, and other uh, American firms and international firms. Uh, so that space is particularly challenging. But outside of that space, companies tell us that things are going fairly well. You touched on something I, I wanted to get your thoughts on. Um, there's a big push right now and a lot of talk in this election about bringing uh, companies back, bringing production back to the U.S. and, and coming getting out of countries like China so we're not so reliant on China for pharmaceuticals or whatever it may be. How's that playing in China and how's that playing in the business sector? Well, in the business sector, there have been a couple of actions over the past couple of years that can have convinced our companies that perhaps there's an over-concentration of their supply chains in the China market. First, the, the trade conflict has led to tariffs, and if companies were unable to shift their supply to other markets, that had a huge impact on their ability to source and, and sell in the United States. Secondly, the pandemic has raised concerns about over-concentration in China particularly in the early days of the outbreak, many of our companies were unable to access their supply chains there. Uh, so what our companies tell us they're doing is they're very carefully evaluating new investments in China and seeking alternative potential investments going forward. At the same time, they're increasing investments in China uh, to access the local market because frankly, you, you can't compete in China if you're not there. Uh, because of the costs of shipping and logistics and tariffs and everything else. Um, when it comes to the Chinese government, I think that they are looking at the U.S. government and American companies and recognizing that there's a big shift in the tone of the engagement between the two sides. They, like the United States, are seeking to be more self-reliant domestically and ensure that they're less reliant on American technology going forward. That's the core kernel of a new policy in China called the dual circulation, which we can talk about at great length, but I won't bore your listeners on at the moment. Well, it's fascinating. However the election turns out, uh, the relations between the U.S. and China are going to be key moving forward, uh, not only for trade, but just for the geopolitical ramifications all around the globe. Jake, always appreciate your perspective uh, on these issues and your insight. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Take care. Jake Parker, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Interesting, his thoughts on how this election the results of this election could impact uh, trade with China moving forward. Well, we'll talk about trade. We'll talk about wrapping up harvest and much more coming up on our next segment. We're going to be talking it over with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Get his thoughts on uh, where we're at with the markets right now, how they may react to the election results when we finally get those results and uh, where we go from here as we head into an interesting winter and towards next spring and making some marketing plans. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. The Home Service Club sponsors this paid advertisement. Attention homeowners. Broken AC, $4,600. Water heater, $1,500. Fridge on the fritz. 1000 bucks. You need home warranty coverage from the Home Service Club. For around a dollar a day, if any of your covered appliances and systems break down, HSC will either do the repair or replace them. HSC has over 15,000 pre-screened, highly rated technicians with the fastest response time in the industry. HSC provides coverage for up to 47 different appliances and systems in your home. Call for a free, no-obligation quote from a trusted HSC service specialist about a home warranty for your entire home all backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. 800-434-5301. Call now and get your first month free, plus $75 off your first year. 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. That's 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with Joel Haggard, Senior Vice President for the Asia-Pacific Region for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He's joining us from Hong Kong. Tell us about some of your efforts there to promote U.S. meat products and how it's going. This has been an extraordinary year, not only because of COVID, but probably more so because of the African swine fever outbreak that's really cut back China's pork supply. We've been shipping a lot of pork to China, record amount. This year, we're seeing the beef really starting to pop right now. We've been promoting um, in all types of formats, in-store promotions at Sands Club, barbecues for traders, a lot of uh, seminars and other educational events for chefs and distributors, pretty much the full gamut of activities. The audience has been very receptive because we're in a particularly favorable position right now on both beef and pork, but on the beef side because of the uh, Australia's uh, tight supply situation. So it's been pretty encouraging. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. This is Around the Table where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And today, we're talking about year-end planning and risk management with Kent Beadle, who analyzes commodity and financial markets for CHS hedging customers. What are the common gaps that you've often seen in marketing plans? Well, one of the major gaps that we see is a focus that is too heavy on just dollars and cents per bushel. We ask our customers to you know, provide us with uh, a balance sheet and, and uh, their expense structure. And then we go out and calculate the gross dollars per acre that we need to provide to get an appropriate return on that grower's assets and equity. And then we develop a marketing plan around those gross dollar per acre objectives as opposed to just focusing on dollars and cents per bushel. Marketing decisions are often stressful 
and difficult. What advice would you give to someone who worries about marketing decisions? You know, I would begin by saying that every grower is very good at some part of their operation. Some growers are better on the agronomy side and on crop production. Others are great with machinery. There's still others who do a very good job with marketing. But we've always advised our clients to do what they do well and to go out and hire a professional to help with the things that they are not as good at. And if marketing happens to be one of those things, and that is a pretty common thing that growers struggle with, hire somebody that you can trust and that will help you analyze the market and do a good job uh, with those marketing decisions. Thanks for joining us on Around the Table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's go to East Central Illinois, talking over with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Matt, good to talk with you. All harvest uh, pretty well wrapped up in your part of the world? Yeah, you know, there's a few guys that still have a little bit to go. Uh, you know, but for the most part, uh, harvest is pretty much wrapped up. This week, you know, the weather is just fantastic, so it's going to give them that opportunity uh, to get finished up there. Seeing a little bit of anhydrous going on and, of course, quite a bit of groundwork. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on how your har- the harvest in your area went as far as the, the numbers, the yields, and what you're hearing in other parts of the country? You know, I, I think the overwhelming thing I keep hearing is that elevators didn't get full. And so um, corn was good. Maybe it wasn't great, but it was good. And so, uh, you know, I think that there's folks that, uh, you know, essentially, um, uh, I guess maybe they're not totally disappointed, but, uh, you know, they're not thrilled either as far as corn's concerned. With soybeans, it sounds like most guys feel like they had a really good crop, uh, uh, relatively speaking. And so I think overall people are very pleased, especially when you see the rally in the market. Uh, it's just that, you know, there was a, a time this summer when a lot of folks in our part of the world thought they were going to have 2018 yields, uh, but I don't know that I've talked to anybody that felt like they uh, had a better crop in 2018, uh, you know, at least with the people we talked to. Yeah, we thought we might run out of storage space, right? <laughs> yeah, we did, and uh, obviously, you know, you look at some of the basis levels that we'd seen before, especially before the Illinois River opened up, and uh, man, the basis was on fire, and so... uh they were really struggling to get the corn bought. You start wrapping up harvest, and uh, whenever you get in the final stages of harvest, basis always increases in your in your part of the world, you know, because they're trying to buy up those remaining remaining bushels. But uh, you know, it's been a very interesting harvest for sure to get the kind of rally we got, as well as a huge uh, 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 basis narrowing. We're talking with Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. Well, how much steam does this rally have left in it? Well, you know, obviously we backed off here. You know, you had to think that it made some sense to to maybe give some back. Last week seemed excessive, but at the same time, you were coming up on month end. Obviously, the rally was huge. I mean, over two dollars for soybeans, a dollar for corn. Uh, we hit up on 420, and we couldn't bust through. And so, 
you know, given that fact, it was pretty tough to, you know, to expect that we would do anything other than maybe sell off going into an election that, that you know, is viewed as highly volatile. Uh, you know, at this stage of the game, though, uh, my personal opinion is that uh, this corn market for the long haul probably has a little bit of firepower, especially if we continue to see exports uh, where we're, where we expect to see them. I think the USDA is going to have to tighten up the balance sheet a fair amount for corn, maybe a little bit for soybeans as well. A lot of that will be heavily dependent upon what yields say, but uh, I sure think that they're going to have to back off on yields a little bit. That late uh, drying up, that flash drought, if you will, in August, I believe robbed a fair amount of bushels for quite a few people. Well, a lot will happen between now and spring, obviously, and we'll see what adjustments are made. But certainly it would seem we will start, we'll go to the fields next spring with a different scenario than we went this year. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. It it sure looks like uh, we're going to have a little more enthusiasm, if you will. Uh, You know, it it looks like you're going to have a lot of uh, opportunity to get your ground in the shape that you want it to. We we certainly had the same type of thing last year, whereas – you know, the previous fall uh, in 2018, you know, we didn't have that. And so, you know, if we get a, a good window in here and people are able to get their groundwork done, I think they're going to feel pretty good about this, especially looking at the price levels for next year. You know, we're bumping back up on 980 here this morning for, for soybeans and then corn, you know, uh, a little bit under 390. But, you know, these are pretty decent price levels, especially whenever you look at what fertilizer prices uh, have been for most of folks putting fertilizer on this fall. Uh, definitely some relief there. Uh, you know, I've been telling people that you can sell less corn uh, to pay for your N, P, and K than what you could last year by a fair margin. But are we looking at more bean acres next year? I think bean acres next year are going to be robust, you know, especially in our part of the world. We've seen profit margins on soybeans awfully, awfully good, you know, and you're hearing that from a lot of growers uh, throughout the Midwest, uh, hey, these bean yields continue to be uh, fairly impressive. Now, obviously, the early beans this year, especially the ones sprayed with fungicide, really shine. Uh, you know, some of the later planted beans, you know, they, they definitely got uh, hit pretty hard with that August dryness. But for the most part, I think producers are looking at their profit margins on soybeans and, and scratching their heads as to why maybe they don't uh, uh, want to even go a little bit heavier soybeans. And so I think that you'll see bean and corn acres a little bit closer maybe than what uh, some of the analysts are throwing around right now. Well, this was not necessarily a good year for analysts, right? I mean, <laughs> this thing changed in a hurry and not many saw the change coming like this. No, that's for sure. I will say, you know, we, we've been saying for a long time we felt like the USDA was uh, long on the 2019 crop and short on demand. And, uh, you know, we were not surprised at all with that quarterly stocks number coming in extremely friendly. You come in here in October then for the USDA supply and demand report, you know, and you have to tighten up that balance sheet significantly. So, you know, you just go back to August and we we're at 2.75 billion bushels. Right now, I mean, I've got to think that in November we're going to go under 2 billion bushels. So uh, with the, with that being said, uh, uh, that tells me that, you know, you're probably uh, uh, going to continue tightening this thing up just a little bit and keep support under this market and give us an opportunity to, uh, you know, see what happens in South America. I mean, if this Safrina crop goes in as late as what it looks like it might, uh, I guess my opinion is that uh, you could see some fireworks later on especially if they get into their dry season, uh, you know, on that safrina crop. Yeah, and it's tough to, to make forecasts, right, when your eyes and ears are telling you one thing and USDA numbers may be telling you something else. 
Yeah, I mean, I hate to criticize them too much because I definitely don't want their job. And, you know, I'm good friends with Lance Honig. I think that, you know, he's got a cumbersome job to to to, uh, to perform. But at the same time, I mean, I, 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 I question uh, Chinese numbers right now for exports. Uh, man, we're going to have to make some adjustments here soon. All right, we will see. Matt, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Take care. Yep, thank you. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. That wraps it up for today. Be sure to get out and vote if you haven't done so already. We'll be talking about uh, some of the election results around the country on tomorrow's show. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.